Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. privilege for me to uh, and, a, and a weighty privilege to bring uh, to open up God's word with you today and uh, just to think some of God's thoughts after him so this is the part of the service where God speaks to us and we listen and uh, I pray that the Lord will give us understanding uh, and uh, humble hearts humble ears ears that are willing to listen and hearts that are willing to submit. So, uh, just as a pre-introduction, uh, for those of you who are perhaps visiting with us, and I know some of you are, a very warm welcome to you, and of course to all uh, our regular Living Hope families, grace to you all. Uh, so, to our visitors, just to put you in the picture, uh, we are currently in a sermon series entitled, Why I Love the Local Church. That is the question preoccupying us during the sermon series. Why do we love the local church? Now, instinctively, uh, all of us know that we should love the local church, right? But that's, that's not a reason in itself. Animals live by instinct, not us. We are made in the image of God, and we've been given a mind. So this is a series specifically aimed to help us apply our God-given minds to know exactly why we should love the local church. We most certainly do not want to be a people that just instinctively or blindly or superficially or thoughtlessly or merely just call ourselves Christians just as a religious cliche. I don't think that honors the Lord. Rather, we want to study scripture and understand deeply what the local church is. What is God's design for us? How we can best fulfill his will for us? In other words, we want to think deeply and scripturally about the church. Also, in addition to seeking a scripture-guided understanding of the church, the Bible also warns us against having a zeal for God without knowledge. Romans 10, 2-4 teaches that. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In all of our religious pursuits, we can never bypass knowledge. In the worst-case scenario, it takes people to hell. But also very seriously, lack of knowledge leaves us spiritually vulnerable and prevents us from being the godly people God wants us to be. Therefore, I'm convinced that as many of you are as well, the less you know about the church, the less your love for it will be. The more you know about the church, the more your love will be and the more you will appreciate. The same with God. The less you know about God, the less you will love him. The more you know about him, the more you love him and are drawn to him. But I must qualify the statement and say this. It is a reality that one can read the entire Bible, gain vast knowledge, but spiritually gain absolutely nothing. 
This happens when we approach Scripture with pride. So let us approach Scripture seeking knowledge with hearts of humility, eager to be taught and changed so that the Lord may turn His face toward us and bless us. You know, just as you peer through a telescope and you look out into the cosmos and you are filled with wonder because there's much to be in awe of, now I want us to put on the lens of Scripture and then look at the church and you will find there's even more to be awed about. The church is truly beautiful. Thus far in the series, we have and we have saw and, uh, that we love the church because the church is the people with whom we pray with, hear the word of God together with, have community and fellowship with, and there is more to come. All of these, when you think about it carefully, are really wise, beneficial, sensible reasons to love and cherish the church. When we gather as a church, we are actually gathering as an eternal family, engaging in activities that are fitting for glory, actually, fitting for eternity. And this is no small thing. So this Sunday, we are going to look at yet another reason to love the church. And today we will be focusing on the idea of corporate worship. We will be looking specifically at the church as the place where we sing truth together. And my goal for us is to leave here deeply convinced that being able to sing truth together with our fellow believers is not just vital to our faith, but it is yet another beautiful reason to love and value the local church. Now just as a like sort of an apology, uh, if you know me, you know I'm going to apologize for something, even though I don't need to. But what I want to say is uh, singing. This, this, this theme of singing is actually something you find all the way from Exodus to Revelation. So for me to put this in one sermon is tough. So if I go a little bit longer today, please, I beg your forgiveness. This could have easily been a whole sermon series, but I'm going to try my best with God's grace. Okay. And, and grace from you as well. Um, so the question before us today, why do I love the local church? And the reason we contemplate it today is because it's where <clears throat> I sing the truth. Why do I love the local church? Because it's where I sing the truth. But then you're probably asking, Look, why, why do we need to sing the truth together? I mean, why sing at all? Let's just get some Christian YouTube or a Spotify soundtrack and have that one going. We've all got access to Christian music during the week, so what's the big deal about coming here together as a congregation and singing? Why do I need to sing? I don't even like my voice, and anyway, others can sing so much better than me, so why should I spoil it with my off-key singing? Why can't we just leave the singing to the singers? And you know what, I'm, also, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty shy, you know, so I don't feel the need to sing. But here's one final question, though, the big question, the one that answers all the other questions preceding it. Here's the question. Father God, do you really want me to sing? God's answer to you is yes. He really wants you to sing. Today we are going to under, try to understand why. Why does God require us to sing together? Singing as we will see it is not a suggestion, not an option, not an alternate means of worship for certain types of people in the church. Singing as we will see it is a command to every believer. Psalms 96, a psalm which is positively exploding with praise to God in just about every line, 
goes like this. Oh, and by the way, I would, I would love if you would open your own Bibles, because some of the stuff, I want you to see it in your hands. <laughs> okay, but Psalm 96, um, if you would go there. So this is a psalm exploding with praise. In just, like every, every line is just magnificently praise, praiseful. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. The Lord is obviously passionate about singing. Now, you don't need to turn about it. If you fast enough, you can. But Psalm 47, verse 6, goes like this. Maybe, maybe you want to go there. <laughs> this, this one is good also. Psalm 47. Verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Did you get it? Did you get that we must sing? Sing praises. That's not a a copyist error. It's not a copy and paste error. I checked it for myself. There actually is a divine emphasis The Lord is calling on all creation to do what He created us to do, to worship Him, delight in Him, and express our adoration to Him through singing. Apparently, there is something like 400 references to singing in the Bible, and of that, 50 direct commands to sing. Singing is a big item on God's agenda for His people. Oh, and if you didn't know, I'm going to read a passage for you. It comes from Zephaniah 3.17. Listen to this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Listen. He will exult over you with loud singing. Our God is a singing God. I trust you are convinced That singing is from God and He has given singing to all of creation and especially His people as a means to offer Him back acceptable praise. You know, we could just end here. I think at this point we have enough compelling reasons to include singing as a vital portion of our worship gatherings. We know God commands it. We know He speaks a lot about it. And we even know that God Himself is a singing God. However, the more we look at Scripture, the more we can actually move past the mere command and onto the reasons for it, the heart behind it. Behind every command lies divine purpose and wisdom, a benefit, a revelation. God's commands are not arbitrary or random. They accomplish something in His people. So I will now give you three scriptural reasons for our congregational singing, which are three points of this message. And there are more than three, of course, but just the three I've decided to focus on for today. So let me list the three reasons up front, giving you a general framework for, this, for the service of the sermon. Why does God require that we sing together congregationally? One, singing lets the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Two, singing is an act of love toward others. And three, singing is a reminder and proclamation of our common salvation. I'm just going to pray as I continue. Father God, um, thank you that you are with us, Lord, and 
We are going into your word and so we obviously need your spirit. And so I ask that you grant us understanding where we lack understanding. Grant us repentance where we need to repent, Lord. And Lord, give us humble hearts that are satisfied with your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This is our first point. Singing, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, seeking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I believe I speak for most adults, if not all adults amongst us, when I say one of the reasons we love Living Hope Church and have chosen this to be our home is because we get taught the word of God accurately. And... Um, we are encouraged to read our Bibles, as Bovat said, and fill our minds with truth, to memorize scripture because we know that through the word we are sanctified. None of you are here because of our deliverance ministry, that's, that's for sure. And I know personally from any direct conversations with some of you that, that come here, you are very aware, all too aware, that there are too many false teachers out there spreading a false gospel. But here you get sound teaching, reformed theology and the uncorrupted truth. You love sound teaching. You love the true gospel. And you are rightly hungry for God's truth. Now, I don't know who exactly, but I am guessing there are some of you who would think like this. It's okay if I'm a little bit late for the service. Just as long as I am in time for the preaching, then I haven't really missed the main part of the service. You basically basically prioritize the preaching. So even the Apostle Paul would be happy and encouraged with, at your zeal for the truth at this point. However, if you are of the opinion that the singing is a dispensable part of our gathering, something that is okay to miss or not as important as preaching, then Paul will be in sharp disagreement with you. Now how do I know this? Well, let's read that scripture again carefully. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is very obviously telling us that if the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly, of course we must be taught and admonished in it. But Paul does not stop there, right? He goes on to say in the very same thought, in almost the very same breath, that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is a God-ordained way for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. How many of us are exceedingly encouraged when a preacher brings the truth to us because your soul longs for truth? I think it's right for us to demand that our preachers and teachers are faithful in proclaiming the truth to us. Right? Right? Yeah, okay. I heard one off in the distance. <laughs> so, isn't it a bit hypocritical when we demand that they proclaim the truth, but we won't? Preaching is the way in which the preacher proclaims the truth, but singing is the way you, the congregation, gets to proclaim the truth. Truth is coming at us from all angles, not just from the preacher to you, but from you to each other. 
this is a ministry every believer must be engaged in. Paul's words in Colossians 3.16 is not a directive to one person. If you go back to Colossians 1 verse 2, we see exactly who Paul is addressing. To the saints, plural, and faithful brothers, plural, in Christ, all Christians, at Colossae, that church, every believer in that church, Paul is addressing the whole church, We see the same in Ephesians 5, different church, writing at a different time, but issuing the same command, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So just like we want our preachers to fulfill their Christian duty of proclaiming the truth, then so should we. When you come to church, make no mistake, you can and should be, and we are actually commanded to actively engage in this ministry. The Lord desires that through our singing that we all participate in the ministry of letting the word of Christ dwell among us, and richly so. When you as a believer are singing the truth, you are ministering the truth to your fellow believers. Of course, you cannot fulfill this ministry if you're not singing or if you're singing with a smothered voice. No, you should want want the truth you are singing to go out there and be heard by everyone. And on a related note, this is why our singing must be word-centered, Christ-centered and rich in truth. Our songs must be rich in theology. Just like preaching teaches us, so too should the lyrics be absolutely drenched in biblical truth. We must sing the word of Christ to have it dwell in us richly. It not only matches that we sing, but what we sing. We sing doctrine And our doctrine is the foundation for our devotion. We have as much right to sing bad songs with poor theology than a preacher has to come up here and preach a false gospel. Our songs should never be short on truth, but always should leave us filled and spiritually nourished. That is part of its intention, so that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. One man said, Show me a church's songbook, And I'll show you their theology. Now, for those of you who don't know, I am one of the worship uh, leaders at this church. And uh, one of the things I often do when preparing for our singing time is I check in with the preacher before Sunday regarding the passage and theme for the day, and and then I choose appropriate songs. In this way, the, the singing serves the word. Singing helps us focus on specific truths, and that sung truth prepares us for the spoken word, much like what we've done today, and that's our goal for every Sunday. It tills and softens the soil of our hearts and makes us even more ready to receive more truth. Our singing time and preaching time are not competing, but really beautifully complementary. Oftentimes when I chat with Andre or whoever the preacher is, and I... um, I ask them about the upcoming sermon and if they have a song in mind. And then he tells me, why? Because that song is going to help us focus and enjoy the very same truths he will be preaching on. That song is a unique, melodious expression of a divine truth that can can connect with you in in a unique and a special way. Furthermore, when we put music to words, which is a combination that God himself gives us, 
we did not come up with this. When music accompanies words, when we sing truth and make a melody to God, those words impact you in a way that reading or hearing the word does not. God has designed us in such a complex way that we respond to music in a special way. And when we sing together as one voice to God, this is a sacrifice of praise, but also we are speaking the truth to each other in love. And this is meant to tug on the heartstrings of the singers and the hearers. We believe and are excited about the truth. We sing and we want those around us to share in our worship. Our worship, in a sense, is complete and whole when we do so in a united fashion. You know, <laughs> this is personal. I'm not the most emotional person under the sun. <laughs> I mostly only cry if someone dies or if I or myself are in some particularly horrible situation. In fact, uh, just recently I was in, <laughs> this is hilarious, but I was, I was in a meeting uh, uh, earlier this year and uh, it was a very emotionally charged meeting and, and a lot of people were crying and I was like, <laughs> and uh, someone actually asked me, uh, do you cry? And, and anyway. Uh, here's something I want to tell you it's full disclosure here there is and there are other times when I can become very emotional and you know when that is it's when we sing as a congregation it's during congregational singing, and I cannot tell you how many times I've welled up with tears in my eyes and got a lump in my throat when some truth would just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I would be shattered and completely emotional. Listen to these words. Forever etched upon my mind is the look of him who died, the lamb I crucified, and now my life will sing the praise of pure atoning grace that looked on me and gladly took my place. Now, just saying these words alone is powerful, powerful. But I tell you, when I sing that song with you, as I hear those truths come from your mouths into my ears and into my heart, it's almost as if I'm standing at the foot of the cross, watching the blood drain from Jesus unto death, purchasing for you and me forgiveness, pardon, acceptance, and peace with God. By faith, these songs help me look back at the cross and see Jesus' agonizing death and helps me realize, it helps me realize that that death is supposed to be mine. He took my place. How can I not become emotional? Of course, being emotional in this way, being carried away by truth, is a perfectly acceptable and godly response. But just to clarify, it is very different to emotionalism. Emotionalism is where your emotions carry you away, and it has nothing to do with the truth. That one, we, we avoid. So again, singing certainly allows the truth to impact us in a unique way. And here is another example. Now, I need your assistance for this one. Um, I would like for us to read some words together, okay? Uh, 
This is not the closing song. This is just part of the sermon. Um. <laughs> so, uh, I, I need you to say these words with me. Let's, uh, can we say these words together? Okay. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Thank you. I cannot make those words any more beautiful than they already are. That's impossible. I need one more favor from you. Can we all stand? Can we sing and stand and sing these words together? And as our scripture tells us, let us sing with an acceptable attitude, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, we just went over the very same words, the very same words, twice, but in completely different ways. Didn't the singing stir up your emotions? It, it did for me. Didn't the singing magnify your affections toward the one who was nailed to the cross? Now tell me, which of these versions is going to pop into your mind later? Which version will you remember better? The singing, of course. God has designed singing not just as a channel for truth and not just as a melodic way for truth to be enjoyed, but it is also a way that helps us remember. I know I have songs in my head from when I was a very young boy. They just won't leave me. And they just pop into my head at, at random moments. Like, wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. And I... I promise you, I'm not thinking about wanting to sing, and I'm 
I'm not even thinking about God. But that song just popped into my head. I don't, I don't ask for it. It just comes and like, wow, that's, that's actually, that's the power of singing, you know. And you know, I was singing some of these, some of these songs I sang as a kid. Honestly, I didn't even know what some of the words meant, <laughs> you know. Um, but I know from that simple illustration, I hope you convince that singing has multiple benefits and it really does appeal to us in a unique way, a way that God has designed. Now back to our original point. Singing is a means for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So if you're serious about the word of Christ and soaking up as much of it as you can, I hope you will from today begin to place a higher value on corporate singing. If you saw singing as an inferior part of our worship service, something that is non-essential, something that is relatively unimportant, I encourage you to cry out to God and ask Him to help you restore your understanding. And may you yearn to fulfill the ministry that He has placed for you in, in this church. God in His infinite wisdom has given us corporate singing as a gift. And I pray we start to value it as highly as He does. God through Paul is telling us, it's not preaching or singing. It's not one or the other. It's both. And God desires that we use our God-given voices to minister to each other in this way. Why do I love the local church? I get to sing to God with my fellow believers to express my love to God. And to have my soul filled with truth. Truth which I and my fellow believers desperately need. Why do I love the church? Because I get to sing, and through the singing, the eternal word of Christ can dwell in us richly. Now, singing is not just a means of having the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It is also, believe it or not, an act of love. Your corporate singing is an act of love. And now we move on to point two. For this point, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 18 to 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the glaringly obvious truths that this passage is bringing to light, for starters, is that singing are for those who are filled with the Spirit. Take note in case you have missed it previously, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spirit-filled people sing. Another implication from this truth is that God-honoring singing cannot be done apart from the Spirit's enabling. We can really spend a long time unpacking the profound significance that our singing is Spirit-empowered, which means our singing is actually god empowered but for the purpose of the sermon I want to draw our attention to something a little less obvious from the text and that is singing is an act of love so how how do I reach that conclusion you say well in the book of Ephesians one of the major themes is love the word love appears something like 15 times in the book in our current text Ephesians 5 it's actually a part of a larger pericope or passage entitled, Walk in Love. Can you look down in your Bibles? Can you look at Ephesians 5? What's at the top there? 
you'll see your chapter headers say, walk in love. Now that's important. That's there for a reason. And in our particular verse, Paul is telling us just how we can congregationally, as a church body, show love to one another. The Greek word for love used here is the familiar one, agape love. Agape love refers to showing affection, goodwill, benevolence, brotherly love toward one another. It's essentially we, the love that we Christians show to each other. Now just to be clear, we know Paul is addressing the church because you see right there in the verse, one another. Which we know by the context is in reference to our interpersonal relationships in the church. Also, Paul introduces the book in a very clear way. If you want to look at it, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Not to the pastors, not just to the leaders, to the saints in Ephesus. Paul is saying, essentially, Christians of Ephesus fellowship, you ought to show agape love to one another by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We all know our singing and worship is ultimately God-focused. You see, Paul adds, making melody to the Lord with your heart. God is always the primary audience of our worship, right? I know we all agree on that. However, Paul is also teaching us that there is a secondary audience, like Blake mentioned. There is a, there is a, a horizontal component too. There's a corporate dimension, and that is us, each other. Just a little earlier in Ephesians 4.15, Paul states that we must speak the truth in love, and now he is spelling out one of the ways we do this which is by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. One author says, this is a bit of a mouthful, but so beneficial, even psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which are expressions of faith and thankfulness to God, are to be considered simultaneously as the means of teaching and admonishing one another. So if we understand correctly, every member is actually involved in the ministry of speaking the truth in love to each other. As we sing together, singing is part of each member's ministry to the whole body, and this is an act of love. Have you considered that God has given you this ministry to love on your brothers and sisters in this way? No spectators, but every member is an active minister of the truth through our singing. If you're part of this church, you, you're actually part of the choir. I'm guessing you didn't know that when you came in today, but. If you're part of the church, you are part of the choir. But what that means is through your singing, you are a minister of the truth. This is according to Paul. When you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, you are contributing to the spiritual vitality of this church. Now, imagine this scenario. Lord Jesus, I love you. Therefore, I love this body. Therefore, I'm going to go to church this Sunday to show my fellow believers, my fellow brothers and sisters, love by singing the truth together with them. Amen. Now, this is such a commendable, God-honoring, selfless, loving approach in which we ought to approach our gatherings with, right? Now, consider a contrasting prayer. Lord Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. See, I have come here to worship you. As for these other people, 
I, I'm not really interested in them. I'm just here for you, Lord. This church and these people which you bought with your blood, they're not my concern. I'm here to be worshipping you. Lord God, today, this is about me and you. Now, of course, no one in their right mind will pray this sort of prayer, I'm hoping. It's horrible and ugly and selfish. But in practice, I'm afraid this is what some people actually do. They think they can love God without loving His people. They want to express their love for God, but have little concern for the spiritual needs of God's people. And they neglect their God-given ministry to God's people. This is tragic and heartbreaking. When we gather together and sing, remember we must never do so with a me-centered attitude. While our focus is on the Lord, our brothers and sisters and our ministry to them should also be very dear to us. A true reflection of the quality and genuineness of your worship is not what you say to God, but how you treat His people. We all remember 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not. He, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So all this should motivate us to adjust our attitudes to corporate worship right. We we really should be looking at how we can build each other up as we corporately worship. And we, we know singing is certainly one of those ways. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Amen. Yes. Paul appeals to us today, and I appeal to you according to Paul's words. If you're a believer, I pray that you take hold of the ministry entrusted to you, that you may see how something as seemingly ordinary as singing is actually a God-instituted and powerful means for you to not just express your love to the Lord, but to be a channel of truth to your brothers and sisters, which is an act of love. How do you motivate someone to sing? Well, you know, when your heart is overcome with joy, singing seems to be the thing that naturally happens, doesn't it? Being happy and excited about something is like a spark that sets you off in song. You know, uh, as God's providence would have it, I was actually at the South African and versus Australia rugby game yesterday. It was an amazing, um, amazing experience, an absolutely electrifying atmosphere. I just, I just absolutely loved it, I have to say. Um, and one of the things I experienced firsthand yesterday, this is something I always knew, but I got to experience it again, was that man is capable of extremely... Passionate worship. Yesterday, we South Africans, we rugby supporters, rallied around our team with national pride and uninhibited enthusiasm. We belted out that national anthem. The whole stadium roared. I'm sure you could have heard us from Joburg. 
I happened to be standing with some people who sang with reckless abandon. They didn't care about anything. They didn't care about how they sounded, who was next to them, whether they were on key or off key. They just loved their team so, so much that they poured out their souls singing that anthem. You know, I could, myself, the, the, the emotionless person almost, I couldn't help but get caught up in the emotional tidal wave that swept through that stadium. It was, it was sung with, wow, with so much passion, so much devotion, and so much feeling. Seriously, I was moved. I was moved. But here's a question. Now this is, me, this is not me judging those people, right? I don't know those people. I, I, I cannot see the heart. I'm not... I just, I just have a thought-provoking question for, for, for us to think about. I wonder, how many of those people would be willing to sing with that amount of zeal, with that amount of pride and passion and reckless abandon to the Lord in church the next day? I often wonder that. When something has gripped your heart, when you are passionate about something, when you are overcome with joy, singing tends to be one of the natural outlets to express those affections and joy. Like, like I told you, I, I experienced this for myself personally, but more importantly, infinitely more importantly, we, this is exactly what we see in Scripture. Where the leadership of Israel passes from Moses to Joshua, and before they enter the Promised Land, God himself gives Moses a song. We find that in Deuteronomy 31-32. Mary breaks out into a song of praise. It's called the Magnificat, found in Luke 1, 46. This is while she was with child, visiting Elizabeth, a cousin. Well, that's, that's a, that is quite the scene. Imagine Jesus, John, the God-man, and the greatest hero to ever live, unborn in their mother's bellies, what do you think happens there? They sang. We also know the angels sing when they announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. That's in Luke 2. Luke even says there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Again, Israel's army in David, Israel's army and David, sorry, in 1 Samuel 18, just after defeating their long-standing Philistine tormentors, return home victoriously. And this is a scene that closely followed the David and Goliath scene. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, wow, that's a lot of cities, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines. I'm thankful for that guy that plays the tambourine there in the back. Uh, see, because the scripture says we should play the tambourine. With songs of joy and with musical instruments. First Samuel 18, 6. And when the ark returns to Jerusalem, they sang, First Chronicles 13, 18. In Ezra, where they relayed the foundations of the second temple, they sang, we can go on and on. And how can we forget that we have a whole book, the book of Psalms, Israel's God-given hymnal, which is a collection of numerous songs for all occasions. Singing is really inseparably woven into our history. We can rightly say that the Judeo-Christian faith is a singing faith. And although I barely scratched the surface regarding how much God's people sang and how extricably linked it is to our history, I think we get the point by now. But 
what I'd like to do now is go back to the very beginning, to the very first recorded song in Scripture. I want us to consider for a few moments what events precipitated or caused God's people to break out into song in what is probably the very first congregational song in Israel's history. For this, we rewind to the book of Exodus. And as we do so, we enter our third and final point. Singing is a proclamation and reminder of our common salvation. In this scene, which is the final showdown between Israel and the mighty Egyptian army, Exodus 14.10 tells us, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Remember, Israel have just left Egypt, but then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army to bring them back into subjection. Israel thought they were finally free, but now Egypt's army is, is on their tails, determined to enslave them once more. Israel, really, were unarmed, weak, untrained for battle, and didn't stand a chance of escape. They were doomed and hopeless. Really, they were doomed. Well, by human standards. We are all too familiar with the story, so we won't go into great detail, but I just want to read the last verses of of Exodus 14, if you'd like to as well, beginning at verse 29. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And this is the backdrop for our first song, which immediately begins in the very next chapter. Let's read some of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing of the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Amen. What an extraordinary moment in the life of this nation. Just picture it. The dead bodies of the Egyptian army strewn across the shore of the Red Sea, their captors for the last 400 years, finally, utterly destroyed. God's people were now finally free. Hours, perhaps even minutes earlier, they feared for their lives, but now they are tasting salvation. Through the mighty hand of God, the rescue that God promised right back in from Genesis 15, by the way, has now been fulfilled This whole nation standing at the banks of the Red Sea is a living testimony of God's faithfulness and commitment to Israel. And what is the appropriate response, you think? The text says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang. 
we, they sang to God together as a nation because they were rescued together as a nation. Every single person there that day, of course, those old enough to understand what happened, broke out into song. God put a song into the hearts of those people that he saved that day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there that day? What an epic celebration. I have never experienced anything like it. And as good as the rugby game was, that was just, there was nothing. There was just a shadow. But do you think, think about it, do you think that there was anyone there not singing? There at the banks of the Red Sea. Do you think there was anyone there just standing there, aloof, unmoved, admiring the nice lyrics, or just soaking up the atmosphere, the cool guys, but were not themselves overcome with joy? I don't think there was such a person there that day. Imagine if it was possible to get into a time machine and go back to that moment of national jubilant celebration, worship and singing, and you saw someone there not singing. What would you say to that person? What do you say to a person who God just rescued in such a spectacular fashion and they didn't feel moved to sing? I would be like, are you dead? Do you realize what just happened? How can you be so cold and unthankful to God? What more must God do before you worship Him? Man, He could have left you behind in Egypt as a slave to suffer. But no, He rescued you. And now, will you not worship Him? What a heartbreaking, a senseless response that would be, right? To not sing. David in Psalms 40, when he was rescued, says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's Psalm 40, verse 3. Do you see? God saves us and puts a song in our mouths. A rescued person is a singing person. Brothers and sisters, isn't that us? Aren't we the rescued? If you remember well, that final terrible plague that God brought upon the people before they left Egypt. It was so severe that it caused Pharaoh to relent and finally let the people go. Do you remember the plague, the death of the firstborn? Listen to these chilling words in Exodus 11, verse 5 to 6. And just imagine you were receiving these words or you were caught up in this reality. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. This was the great price, along with the death of all the Passover lambs that was paid to bring about Israel's salvation. But think about it. How much greater was the cost of your salvation? 
The cost of your salvation was not through the death of mere creatures. The cost of your salvation was the death of the eternal Son of God. God himself, God himself died to rescue you. Question, will you not sing? Why do I love the church? Because I get to sing of my salvation. We, God's people, are a redeemed people, a rescued people. So we sing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Psalm 107 verse 2. This is you and this is me. Our salvation should lead us to sing. Now just as a summary, uh, we're tying this all up together, you know. Why does God require that we sing together congregationally? Singing lets the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It is sanctifying. Singing is an act of love toward others. It's, it's service to each other. Singing is a proclamation and reminder of our common salvation. We sing because we have received salvation. Brothers and sisters, I hope you can see. We don't sing because we have to. We sing because we have marvelous reasons to. Now, if there are perhaps someone here today who is unsaved, an unbeliever, if there are perhaps someone here who is still in their sin and have not yet placed their faith in Jesus, someone who cannot truly sing God's praises and celebrate salvation because you have not received salvation, I want to tell you, salvation can be found in Jesus today. This day, Jesus can forgive your sins, save your soul, and put a song in your heart. Here is what you must do. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is God's gracious gift if you will but humbly receive it. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, lived the perfect life, satisfying all of God's commands. Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, was then slaughtered upon a cross and in, in doing so took upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was raised to life again three days later because his sacrifice was acceptable and pleasing to God. If you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as the God-man who paid the penalty of your sins on Calvary's cross, the Bible says you will be saved. Salvation is a gift to be received by faith and not something to be earned. Salvation is also exclusively, listen to this, salvation is exclusively, no exceptions, not one, only for those who know they cannot earn it for themselves, but receive it by faith. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6. Death, on the other hand, we have earned by our sin. We actually deserve to die. Salvation, we do not deserve. It is a shockingly gracious gift that the God of the Bible has made freely available to those who will trust His Son. Now children, I know there's some children among you. I'm speaking to you now. Children, can you put up your hands, those of you not adults? <laughs> children, you are so special. Listen to me. If you were sleeping, just wake up for a bit. You can go back after this. If you think your mommy or daddy are Christian, 
So that makes you a Christian automatically? No. Mommy and daddy cannot believe for you. You must turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for yourself. Children, Jesus has a very special place in his heart for you. I cannot tell you how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave up his own life to save your life. Jesus wants you to trust him with all your heart. You are not too young to have faith in Jesus and you are not too young to live for him. If you want to know how to trust Jesus with all your heart, come talk to mommy and daddy or come talk to the pastors. We will explain the good news of Jesus Christ to you. We would be so happy. We live for this sort of thing. We would be so happy to show you the way. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's gracious invitation. Friend, I beg you, do not pass up this invitation. The hymn writer says it like this. Come to the Savior, make no delay. Here in his word he has shown us the way. Here in our midst he is standing today, tenderly saying, Come. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus and you will find like every Christian on this planet, the Lord is merciful and gracious to all who will humbly approach Him in faith. And if you do so, here is the song He will put in your heart. Joyful, joyful will the meeting be when from sin our hearts are pure and free. And we shall gather, save you with thee, in our eternal home. Now finally, to the church, as we, we sing down here on earth, know that we are preparing and already have started to, to echo the chorus of heaven, which one day we will join with the multitudes of angels, with thunderous praise unto the Lord of glory for the rest of eternity. Revelations 5, 11 reads, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. This is heaven's song. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for the salvation you have brought. Thank you for your son. Thank you for putting a song in our heart. Lord, I pray by your spirit you work in us mightily today. Make us like your son for your namesake. Amen.